Jesus, a shout of praise in this place. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, we thank you today as we've sung. Even amidst all of the twists and turns that our lives sometimes take, you are the way maker. You make a way where there seems to be no way. That is the testimony of our life. It's the story of our lives. And we want to stand here today and thank you for that. We really do. We thank you amidst all of the complexities of life. You always make a way through. We look back. We just say thank you for it all. The good times, the bad times, the great times, the hard times, irrespective of what season we've been in, we've always found a way through it because you've never forsaken us. You've never left us. You've been there to hold our hands and to take us through. We want to thank you today again, as we do every week. We come here every week. It's our commitment to one another and to you to be the church, to be a light in this city, a voice that declares your praises and proclaims hope eternal in you. Today again, like every other week, and on from this week, every other week to come, We are here again to proclaim that you are the light in the darkness, the way maker, the miracle worker. And even when we can't see it, and even when we don't know it, you're working. You're always working. In fact, your word says through the prophet Isaiah, I do not slumber, I do not sleep. And we give you thanks for that. You do not slumber concerning your purpose. You do not slumber concerning your plan. You are not apathetic. You don't wake up in the morning and think, oh my goodness, I've got to start the universe again and manage it all. No, you don't sleep over any of your work and over any of your purposes. And you certainly don't sleep when it comes to perfecting your work and your word in our lives. So today we thank you. We thank you because of the words we've sung. They're true. True and real to our experience. That's why we sing them with so much passion. We thank you for it. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Listen, before you sit down, why don't you turn to somebody and say hello? Welcome them to church. Give him a big hug. Give him a Christmas hug. Hallelujah. Fantastic. Amen.
What a joy it is. What a joy it is to be together. And can you believe it's Christmas? The first Sunday in December. We are nearing the big day yet again. Who can believe it? Got our trees lit up here and some rising stars over your heads. If you look up to the ceiling, hopefully they won't become falling stars at any point in the service. We've tied them up with a bit of Welsh string, so they should be all right. But isn't it great in this season to be together? You know, Christmas is nearing, and it's hard to believe, really, that another year, another year now, is coming to a close. But when we look over this last past year, I'm sure you, like me, will be able to see a lot of ups and a lot of downs, a lot of bumps in the road. But, you know... In any given year, it's great always to come to the end of a year and look back and say, oh, God, thank you. Thank you for looking after me. Thank you for being with me on life's road. Thank you for answering my prayers. I've had, I've had happy times. I've had difficult times in 2022. Life's been a bit bumpy. There's been some laughs and there's been some tears, but irrespective of what this year has brought me, thank you to be watched by you and cared for by you. It's wonderful to know that assurance of having Jesus close to us, isn't it? It really, really is. And, you know, at Christmas, my mind always goes back to those first beginning moments when Jesus was born, born into our world. Christmas is a wonderful season, a time, again, where we can continue to give thanks to God for the gift of His Son, Jesus, to us. And that first Christmas, when Jesus was born into our world, is a testimony to us of great faith, great faith triumphing amidst circumstances that seemed overwhelming and out of control. That first Christmas has a message in it for all of us of faith triumphing, of light coming into darkness. It's a picture that was full of chaos and confusion. A young woman with her husband kept trusting God to fulfill His promise for their lives of bringing Jesus, our Savior, into our world. And even though all of hell tried to stop God's plan, God's saving plan, of coming into our world, God could not be beaten. God's purpose prevailed. Amidst all of the hellish trials, amidst, amidst all of the hellish circumstances that came against this young couple, Mary and Joseph, to stop, hinder, and destroy God's plan and God's purpose, God would not be beaten. So through this month of December, we're going to look at four messages, four messages that come to us from that first Christmas of when God sent His Son, Jesus, into our world, starting today with a message that we're going to call 
incredible favor in an unfavorable place. Incredible favor in an unfavorable place is what Mary received when the word of God came to her announcing that she had been highly favored, chosen by God to bring Jesus, our Savior, into our world. And it's always amazing to see, when you read the Bible, how God displays incredible favor in the most unfavorable of places. Choosing, this is what he does, choosing the least likeliest of people to bring him glory. This is the message of that first Christmas. When we look back on it in the scriptures, it's the message that comes to us from God's word of how he displays his incredible favor in the most unfavorable places of life and how he chooses the least likeliest of people to bring him glory and to fulfill his plan on earth. This is what we see when the angel Gabriel visited Mary in her hometown of Nazareth. Let's read it from Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1 from verse 26 through to verse 35. Precious words that recount these first moments of when God was about to bring our, our Savior and Lord Jesus into our world through this young virgin. Verse 26, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she heard, or when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end." Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Incredible moments in that first moment, that first Christmas of when Christ was to be born into our world. And when I read these verses, I just love how 
Gabriel starts the conversation with Mary. He doesn't give her a long introduction into who he is. He doesn't talk about himself in any way. His greeting just bluntly begins with one word, rejoice! That's the opening introduction to the conversation with an angel that she'd never met before. Rejoice, he says, as he meets her. Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. That's how it all begins. That's how it all starts. What an incredible way to open a conversation with this commanding statement, this commanding word, rejoice, highly favored one of the Lord. And as we look, as we see Mary's response to this, we can see that it's an incredible moment for her. She's startled by it. That's what we see as we read the Word of God. She's startled by His greeting. One of the things that we see also from what happens in this moment when Gabriel comes into Mary's humble home in Nazareth is that the Word of God brings her to a point of decision. It's amazing, isn't it, when God speaks to us, how it always does this. The Word of God will always bring each and every one of us to a point of decision as to whether we're going to believe and receive it or whether we're going to refuse and reject it. When God, sit, when, God, when God speaks to us with His Word, when God unveils His favor, when, when, when God issues His promise to us, we can never sit on the fence of indecision. We can never vacillate between two opinions. God's word, God's promise, as he speaks to it, as he speaks to us, or as we read it, always brings us to a sudden point of decision as to whether we are going to readily receive it or outrightly reject it. And that's what was happening here. When Gabriel spoke to Mary, she was brought to a sudden point of decision to believe and to receive the word that God was declaring over her, over her life and over her future. This was a life-changing moment, a life-changing, defining moment for this young woman. And she was suddenly brought to a point of decision and she believed and she received The word that was brought to her. Unexpected favor had come to the most unfavorable place, Nazareth. 
to the most unlikeliest of people in this young woman. Mary hadn't had time to prepare for Gabriel's arrival. Mary didn't even know that he was going to visit. No, suddenly Gabriel arrived in her humble home that was situated in a city of rejects to demonstrate God's grace, to demonstrate God's favor to her, and to show her, and not only her, the whole world that God is never put off by the unfavorable places that he finds us in. No, it's right there in those unfavorable times, in those unfavorable places that God demonstrates His goodness. God demonstrates His grace. God demonstrates His mercy and His love to us. His favor. God's favor. God's love for you. God's love for me is never put off by the unfavorable things that surround us. We only really begin to understand the impact of God's Word to Mary when we think about where she was when Gabriel spoke to her. Mary, you see, wasn't troubled by the presence of Gabriel. She wasn't troubled by the presence of this angel, and that's a remarkable thing in itself. But she wasn't troubled by his presence in her home. What she was troubled by was the word that he brought. She was troubled by the word that he spoke to her because he was declaring things over her life that she had never heard, that she had never entertained in her mind. These were new words to her that she was hearing. She'd never heard before. And hearing of God's favor on her life was a sudden, shocking contradiction to everything that Mary had ever known. Because this young woman lived in Nazareth, not Jerusalem. Had Gabriel gone to the wrong address? Had Gabriel gone to the wrong city? Jerusalem's down there, Gabriel. This is Nazareth. You don't belong here with the words that you're speaking over me. Had Gabriel got to the wrong address? Had Gabriel gone to the wrong city? It was Jerusalem that had rich spiritual history filled with thousands of priests on rota in the temple performing their duties 24-7, around the clock, year after year, faithfully doing what God had commanded them to do as a priesthood. Jerusalem had the spiritual history and heritage that would call for such a visit as Gabriel was giving to Mary. Had he got it all wrong? He was in Nazareth, not Jerusalem. And Nazareth 
had an awful reputation, unlike Jerusalem. Nazareth had a reputation of nothing good ever coming out of it or coming from it. When you live in a place that has a reputation of nothing good ever coming from it, it's not long before you start to believe and start to think that nothing good can come from you. Because you live in a place and in a community and in a society that has a reputation that is negative, dark, sinister, and suppressive. Imagine living in a place like that, with that kind of stigma. There's nothing good about your past to look back on. You haven't got any spiritual heritage. There's nothing good in your present to look forward to. There's nothing good in your future to aim at because you live in Nazareth, the place where nothing good comes from. That's the statement that hung over the city that Mary was living in. She was right in the middle of that dark city, in that dark environment, in that negative place. So when, when Gabriel enters her home, and starts off the conversation without any explanation as to who he is or where he's from. Rejoice! Highly favored of the Lord. You can understand why Mary was troubled. Troubled in her heart initially because the thought of incredible favor in such an unfavorable place as Nazareth was inconceivable. God just doesn't come to a place like this. Maybe Jerusalem, yes, but Nazareth, no. Yet into this forsaken city, into this forsaken city of Nazareth that everyone bypassed, Gabriel visits. And he goes to the home of Mary. He hadn't gone to the wrong city. No. He was fulfilling prophecy that had been spoken and declared long before Nazareth was ever on the map. And he calls Mary on this day to rejoice because the favor of God was on her. She'd never been aware of it. She'd never expected it, but suddenly now the angel is pulling back the veil, pulling back the curtain for Mary to see beyond what she'd always seen into what God had pre-planned and pre-purposed for her life. Highly favored by God. The Lord is with you, young woman. The Lord is with you. On hearing Gabriel's command, Mary could, could have responded like many would have responded. Rejoice? What are you talking about? Rejoice. Don't you understand what I'm living in? Can't you see what's all around me? Don't you realize that this city 
has a damning reputation over it, and I'm living right in the middle of this stuff. How can I rejoice while I'm living in a place like this? How can I have a happy heart? How can I celebrate in such a sinister, oppressive, suppressive society in which I live? Rejoice. What are you talking about? It's ridiculous. It's offensive for me, for you to come into my home and declare this and these things over my life. Many could have and probably would have responded to this call in that way, but Mary didn't. Mary didn't. This young virgin, this young woman whose heart was open, whose heart was ready to receive God's word, didn't respond to the angel like that. Even though she lived in a suppressive environment, even though she was surrounded by many negative voices, even though the stigma that was over that city was part of her identity and part of her life, she didn't allow those things to define her or keep her down. You know, there's many times in all of our lives where God's favor, God's favor comes to us. God visits us. And it's usually, if you look back, it's usually in times where you're least likely to expect it. When it seems as if everything's flat. When it seems as if nothing good is coming about. It's then when God bestows his favor. It's then when you suddenly realize that the Lord is with you. It's then, right there, then, when he calls you to rejoice. Because new things in God are about to begin. Sometimes it's in those lowest moments of life that we find ourselves in that God enters and calls them up to be the highest moments of our life. Where we encounter his favor, his goodness, and his pleasure. Just like Mary. Just like Mary. I'm sure there's been times and occasions in all of our lives where the Holy Spirit has whispered his word into our hearts. Whispered his great promises. Whispered that living word of life into your heart. And maybe just like her, you've been troubled because the promise is so great. The promise is so expansive. The promise is so full of new hope calling you on. And you become troubled. Because in those moments where you hear God speak, suddenly your mind kicks in. You think, well, maybe for somebody else, but for me, really? Yes, for you. For you. God loves you so much. His favor is on you. 
His pleasure is towards you, irrespective of where you live, irrespective of what you've grown up through, irrespective of all the bangs and the crashes that, the, that has gone on in your life, that's tried to hold you down, that's tried to oppress you, that's tried to even suppress you. God calls to you. He says, come on, it's time to rejoice. It's time to rejoice. And there's good reason for you to rejoice because every single moment of your life, you're highly favored. You're highly favored by God. And the Lord, the Lord is with you. And there's more than enough Bible to prove it. Hallelujah. More than enough Bible to prove it. Even though this glorious promise that the angel spoke to Mary contradicted Mary's life experience, she believed. She received. She didn't refuse it. She didn't reject it. God was calling Mary up, you see. He was calling her up into a bigger purpose and a bigger plan for her life. And that's what God's Word always does. God's Word never diminishes you. God's Word never makes you smaller. God's promises makes you bigger in His power, bigger in His life, bigger in His strength to do all that He's planned for you to do. Peter the Apostle, I believe it's in his second letter, talking about the promises of God, makes this statement. He says, we have been given exceedingly great and precious promises that by them we might become partakers of the divine nature. Think of that when you wake up on a Monday morning. Hallelujah. You have been given exceedingly great and precious promises. You can take any promise that God has made to the bank and cash it in any moment. And I'm telling you, it will never default. It will never be deferred. God will pay on every promise that He has made to His people. If we will anchor ourselves in faith and believe them, God will pay out on every promise, even the exceedingly great and precious promises that He has made to us in Christ Jesus, if we will but believe. He will never default on any payment of promise that God's children draw down on from their account in Him. I believe it, I tell you. The Lord is true, hallelujah. His words are true. Every promise of God is true. And they're exceedingly great and precious. They really are. Mary understood this. And the angel was calling her, calling her, and commanding her to rejoice. Now, after he commands her to rejoice, Gabriel began to quickly, quickly move into revealing how God's life-changing purpose and plan was to unfold in Mary's life. And all of it, this is what I love as well, all of it was set out in under a minute. You know, when you think about time management, 
and the effective, efficient use of words. You find it right here. Because all of the plan of God for Mary's life, as, as Gabriel outlines it, is spoken out in but a matter of moments, in under a minute, really. There's no long deliberated discussion to go over all of the details as to how it's going to happen. There's no in-depth explanation. It's all laid out and finalized and put into motion in just under a minute. Listen to verses 31 through to 33. Gabriel's words now to Mary as to the plan and purpose for her life in God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. That's it. All done. Downloaded in a matter of moments. Then after all of that, that's quickly and efficiently spoken by Gabriel, Mary is able to pop in a quick question that's pretty important to her. She says this in verse 34, how can this be? Verse 34, then Mary said to the angel, how can this be? Really good question, Mary. How can this be since I do not know a man? The answer from Gabriel comes quick and fast again. There's no thinking or running back to heaven. Excuse me, God. Uh, Mary is asking a very important question, and I just don't have the answer for it. I knew the first part of the message, but this second part of 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 the question that she's asking is baffling me. No, Gabriel fully understood the purpose and the plan that God had set in motion for this young woman. And he, without any deliberation, is as fast and as quick to answer Mary's question by saying in verse 35, And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. There's the answer. No deliberation. No running back to the throne of God. To, to, to find out a really important question that this young woman was asking? No, it comes sharp, it comes quickly with clarity to remove any kind of confusion. The plan of God and, its, and His purpose was clear. The amazing thing about all of this that I find is how Mary responds to Gabriel. Because as fast as Gabriel explained it, 
Mary responds now again to it. In verse 38, Mary from her heart cries. Verse 38, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Possibly, possibly, the greatest statement of faith in the entire Bible. Possibly the greatest moment of faith in the entire Bible outworked by a young woman, a virgin, who lived in a nothing good city that had a terrible reputation, suppressive and oppressive, and yet in the midst of all of the confusion around her and the darkness amidst her, she responds and says, let it be so, just like you've said then. Irrespective of what I'm living in, irrespective of all of the voices that I've heard all of my life that have been suppressive and negative and causing me to be downcast, irrespective of all of the experiences that I've come up through in this God-forsaken town, irrespective of all of that, let it be so according to what you're saying, not according to what the world around me is saying, but according to what you're saying in your word, God, I believe it. Let it be done unto me. I'm your servant from here on in. My body is yours. My life is yours. I lay it down. It's all over to you. I will be what you want me to be. And at that moment, at that very moment, this weak, inferior, outcast, and nobody really who lived in a nothing good city fused her life, fused her faith, and joined it together with Almighty God to perform His Word for the world in which we live. Let it be done unto me according to your Word. That's all Gabriel needed to hear. He didn't say, well done. That's what he'd come for. He'd come, from, he'd come for those words. And he'd waited for those words after his explanation. And he didn't have to wait long because they just oozed out of Mary's heart. And as soon as he heard that, there wasn't another exchange of words. He was gone. Gone. That's all God wanted to hear. That's all God wanted to see. There was no more reason for him to hang around in that home. He had come to deliver a message. That message was united by faith, ignited by faith in the heart of this young woman. And that was it. Gabriel was gone. And now Mary was on a journey to work it all out. And I'm telling you now, over the coming weeks, we're going to see just how that word worked itself out in her. And how she had to walk. I'm telling you now. A troubling walk of faith, but my God, you see the stature, the character, and the strength of a young woman that had given her life in service to God, undaunted, undefeated, 
by what, what faced her and what came against her, a woman of faith that stood strong to bring God's Word into being in bringing Christ Jesus into our world. It's quite incredible. The story of her life, the testimony of this young woman of faith. There's not many that match her in the Word of God, I tell you. Incredible woman of faith should encourage every lady here in this place. It's not a man's world, let me tell you. And all the women laughed. (laughs) Come into my home, I tell you now. You'll see that it's not a man's world. I thank God for my wife. Keeps it all together. Come on, let's applaud our ladies. What a blessing. And, and I say that with utmost respect. Please, I do. Thank God. Thank God for the men. Hey, come on. It is Christmas. Come on, we can. Thank God for the men and thank God for our ladies that are a great blessing to us. Really. Hey, good. Yeah, you, you deserve it. Do you know what? You deserve it. With great respect, with great respect, honestly. Let it be done unto me according to your word. That's what Mary said. What an example to every man. What an example to every woman. That's what we want, isn't it? That's our heart cry. Really? As believers, as, as children of God, that's, your, that's the cry of your heart. It's the cry of this church. I believe you, you look around churches in Newport and churches across Wales and churches across the United Kingdom. I believe at the, the core of every church, really, it comes down to this simple cry. Oh, God, let it be done unto us according to your word. That's the cry of every believer across the face of this earth. That's the cry of the body of Christ. Let it be done, Lord. Let it be done. Everything that you've said in your word, let it be done unto us that we might walk it out, that we might fulfill it in the earth, that we might be that light that shines in a dark place, that we might be a blessing amidst the hurt and the pain and the the confusion of our world. Let it be done unto us according to your word that we might serve you in a way that pleases you. That's our heart cry, isn't it? It really is. And that was the cry of faith that came from this woman's heart that brought God's favor, God's nearness, and God's plan into being. Jesus was conceived. He was conceived in a city that had a reputation of nothing good coming out of it. The king of the universe, the Lord of lords. He could have gone to Jerusalem, but he didn't on his first visit. On his second visit, he will. But he was conceived in Nazareth. He was conceived in Nazareth. The place that had nothing good. Coming out of it. Doesn't that remind you. Of how God's 
God, God's favor was displayed in your life and my life. His favor, if you think back, found you and I in such an unfavorable place. He came to the least likeliest of people when he found you and me. And he poured his precious love on us. He poured his precious mercy. He gave his precious Holy Spirit so that Christ could be conceived in our hearts, not physically in our bodies like that of Mary, but conceived in our hearts as a result of the Holy Spirit overshadowing our lives. God didn't turn away from where he found us. No, he was drawn to us. He was drawn to us. Drawn to you in that place of pain. Drawn to you in that place of confusion. Drawn to you in that, that place of emptiness and loneliness. Why? Because he just hated the fact that you had to live and go through that. And he wanted to reach you and reach into your life so that he could fulfill a glorious plan that you'd never imagined or never dreamed of. That's why. The Apostle Paul describes the state we were all in when God found us. And Paul, the apostle, doesn't dress it up, doesn't make the picture pretty. He tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That's not a pretty picture. There's nothing positive about that. There's nothing that you can do with that kind of situation. When you're dead in your trespasses and sins, you're in a hopeless condition. When all you can look back on is chaos and recklessness, when all you can look to in your present is pain and dejection and a future that offers no hope, that's an unfavorable place right there. And Paul reminds us of this place of where we were when God came to us. Yet, God didn't pass by. It didn't deter God at all. No, Paul goes on to tell us that God's rich mercy, rich mercy was extended, his love was given, and his grace lavishly bestowed on our lives. We're going to come to a close in a minute. But listen to Paul's words in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 verse 4 says this, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. Here he goes. Even when we, that's all of us in the room and beyond, 
even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you've been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, listen, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There it is right there. There it is. A picture of God's incredible favor coming to an unfavorable place like our lives. When we were dead in trespasses and sins, without God, without hope in this world, he visited us and made us new in Christ. That's what God's grace does. It takes something that is no good and it lifts it up and makes it gloriously good, gloriously great, manifesting God's life in its fullness. It's time to believe. It's time to believe that contrary to circumstance, Contrary to everything that life's told you about your life, it's time to believe that God's favor is upon you. Will you, will you believe? Will you accept God's favor? Will you accept God's pleasure? Irrespective of the circumstances that are around your life, irrespective of what you've come through, irrespective of where you are, irrespective of what life looks like when you look out at it. Will you believe, like Mary, that God is favorable towards you, that he loves you with a passion, that he's going to make all things new, and you give him just a little bit of time and a little bit of trust, you will see. You will see. A display of his goodness. And his plan and purpose right in the core, center of your life. For some of us today, it's time to make a choice to rejoice again. Make a choice to rejoice again. Had a difficult year. Might have stolen our song. A song that was strong and joyful. And, and, and one that you would wake up to every day. But we went through some tough times. And those challenges, those difficulties stole your song. Well, it could be today that God's word is coming to you again 
saying, come on, get your song back. It's time again to make a choice to rejoice. Not just when you're with your brothers and sisters. On a Sunday. Or when you meet them in the week. But out there in life. In your workplace. That cheerful heart that belongs to you. That cheerful attitude. That, that's always been yours and that's characterized your life it's time again to make a choice to rejoice that irrespective of what faces you you know without a shadow of a doubt you walk under the favor and the smile of God and that his presence is with you Paul the apostle later spoke of this wonderful spirit this wonderful spirit that God wants each one of us to live in by saying this in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 16 to verse 18. He says this, Rejoice always, believer. Rejoice always, child of God. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Irrespective of what is happening, irrespective of the messages that are bombarding us from the world in which we live, God's Word calls us always to rejoice to pray without ceasing, to give thanks in everything. And as we do those three things, we walk in the perfect will of God. Let's do that. As we leave this place at the close of today, let's make that our resolve as we go forward through life. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word to us. We thank you for the favor that you've bestowed on our lives. Jesus, you said that we did not choose you. You chose us. You chose us. You handpicked us out of where we were, dead in our trespasses and sins. And you brought us to yourself to make us anew, to raise us up, to save us by grace. Lord, we thank you for that. As we go out into life, into our various situations of life that we find ourselves in, we pray that there would be a strong spirit within us that would rejoice, that our smile would grow bigger as every moment passes because of the realization of your favor that you've bestowed upon us. Open the eyes of our understanding, Holy Spirit, that we might have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask you that as we pray without ceasing, in unbroken union with you, 
there would just be a constant feed and sense of the greatness of your love that never fails us. The greatness of your presence that is always with us. And that in everything that we walk through in this life, we would be able to turn to it. The good things, the bad things, the up times, the down times, we would be able to stare it in the face, whatever it is, and give thanks to you. Because you are good to us. We ask this in Jesus' wonderful name for your glory. Amen. Amen.